Connecticut Democrats, or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 14 after a long break of the Connecticrats to CT Democrats podcast. I'm Mike Cerulli, your co-host. And I'm Dave Kostak with the Connecticut Democratic Party. So again, sorry for the long break, but we are back. And this week I had an outstanding conversation with our state Senate Majority Leader, Bob Duff. And we talked about you know, pretty much anything uh, you could think of from marijuana policy to legislating uh, in this sort of Zoom age, and also touched a little bit about uh, Bob's hometown of Norwalk. And I spoke with Nick Kapoor. Nick is running in the 112th district, that's Monroe, and a piece of Newtown in a special election taking place on April 13th. So that is the district right next door to me, and Nick's campaign manager, Carla, was running in my town, and Nick managed her campaign, and now it's roles reversed. So I really like Nick Kapoor. He's a great candidate and I think is going to make a great state representative. How'd that conversation go? Fantastic. The one thing uh, that's pretty clear, we need your help. If you can lend a hand, you can go to ctdems.org slash April 10th. And the reason the, the URL, actually April 10, and the reason the URL is April 10, because that's the day that we're going to do a big GOTV push for Nick and get Democrats out to the polls to elect a new state representative. That's going to be a flip if we can pull this off. So we need your help. Again, ctdems.org slash April 1-0. So you heard it here first. Uh, and Dave, before we jump into the interviews, we had an, another guest in Connecticut, not on the podcast. She was a little busy for to do the podcast, <laughs> but who did we have we visit even, we Connecticut this past ask. week? We didn't even put in the ask. Oh, man. <laughs> now I regret that. I mean, I mean, it would have been a big fat no, but I could have put in the ask at least. Kamala Harris, vice president of the United States, was in New Haven and West Haven, got a little bit of Sally's Pizza and spoke to some adorable preschoolers. So I want to correct you there, Dave. It was not a little bit of Sally's Pizza. It was what I heard, 15 Sally's pizzas that required one of those gigantic, uh, I'm assuming required one of those big secret service uh, Chevy Suburbans to pick all of them up. So um, hopefully she was able to enjoy some Sally's. Hopefully she was able to more importantly uh, stress the importance of the American Rescue Plan and all that it does for our nation's children. Uh, And we really appreciated having the vice president in the great state of Connecticut this week. So without further ado, let's we'll jump into the interviews. Here's my interview with uh, State Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff. We are so proud to have on the podcast this week, State Senate Majority Leader, uh, Senator Bob Duff. Senator Duff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Where does this podcast find you today? Well, I'm home right now in my office. Uh, it's a beautiful day. So as soon as this is over, I'm going to be uh, heading outside and going for uh, my daily run and uh, putting on my AirPods and just getting lost in some music and getting some exercise. Music. What's on the playlist for the run today? Well, I'll have to see. You know, I got uh, got a good Amazon playlist that I, I keep uh, putting some songs on. Uh, the latest ones I've added have been uh, a little bit of fish and some other stuff that's on the radio right now. But uh, I like a lot of different different things. So kind of an eclectic uh, mix, I guess. But um, yeah. So yeah. And now it depends on the, the mood, kind of. If I really want to go faster or slower. <laughs> Yeah. So of the legislative leaders, you know, you and, and Speaker Ritter and President Looney, who would you say? And I guess throw the governor in there, too. Who, who would you say has the best uh, running playlist out of the out of the four or five of you guys? <laughs> well, I think everybody uses their playlist for different things. So <laughs> I don't know if the uh, the governor is is running at all. Uh, uh, Speaker Ritter, I know, is a big basketball uh, player. Um, and so, you know, I think they're all using for different things. But. I may be the only runner in the group. I'm not sure. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So let's let's get down to it and talk a bit about this legislative session, which is much, much different than any any certainly I've seen and I'm imagining any you've seen um, going into this session with all that is happening in the world right now. Uh, how do you look at what to prioritize and what to maybe not prioritize? Like what what was your thought process thinking of, OK, there's all these issues in the state of Connecticut right now. Um, what's going to occupy the most most of your time and how do you decide that? Well, we have a lot of competing interests, and and by that I mean the fact that we didn't have session last year because of COVID. This and then this year's session um, is virtual uh, for the committee work. So uh, there's a lot of uh, pent up demand as far mm-hmm. as uh, people wanting to get bills done and bills through. Uh, on the other hand, it's um, difficult because of the fact that uh, we're doing things virtually, so it, it, the process is a little bit slower. And so we've got we've got kind of those competing interests of a lot, a lot more ideas and bills, like almost like two years worth in one year, mm-hmm. and, and it being a little slower because of COVID. So I think you know we've we're just kind of trying to do the best we can. Uh, our budget is the biggest issue first and foremost because we have to have a, a two-year biennial budget. Um, and but there's a lot of other issues like economic growth and uh, issues dealing with COVID, uh, issues dealing with equity, issues dealing with uh, zoning and housing, and um, whether we allow companies like Tesla to do direct sales, um, net neutrality, data privacy, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the issues you've been most active on has been this issue of making sure all of Connecticut's uh, public school children are vaccinated uh, and safe to get back in the classroom. Uh, and that's caused a lot of controversy. I know uh, you're one of the one of the great uh, outspoken voices on Twitter in favor of science and vaccinations. Talk a bit about uh, taking up that fight and uh, dealing with the blowback it's, it's brought you from uh let's charitably call them the, the unscientific crowd. Uh, well, I'll say this, that, you know, there's the documentation is out there and it's, and it is um, for everyone to see uh, from a standpoint of the fact that uh, vaccination rates have decreased over the years. And we're very concerned about um, the loss of herd immunity, uh, which means that if we don't have herd immunity on these vaccinations, more and more people will be exposed to measles, bumps, polio, uh, rubella, you know, things that uh, have killed people in the past that we haven't had to even deal with, never thought of it growing up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now we have to uh, concern ourselves with that. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and disinformation coming from the other side on on vaccinations. So, um, you know, you have to be you have to be a leader uh, on these things, even if it's controversial. Uh, we have to believe in science. We have to believe uh, and the fact that vaccinations have saved millions of lives and the fact that um, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, it should be about as obvious as anything could ever be that we need to ensure that our children are safe in schools, they're mm-hmm. vaccinated, uh, and that um, that we're not uh, playing Russian roulette uh, with anybody's health. Exactly. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't agree more with you on that. Do you get the sense, because I think, I think one of the things that's sort of been lost maybe in the narrative a bit is that a lot of these folks who are anti-COVID vaccine, you know, the, the sort of microchip <laughs> crowd, um, they're also the people, as you just said, and, and I kind of had to remind myself of this, that also don't believe in taking like flu vaccines, and, you know, right. uh, measles vaccines. Um, do you get the sense from, you know, like I said, you're very active on social media, pushing for science and for vaccinations. Do you get the sense mm-hmm. that this anti-vax movement in Connecticut is growing or do you think it's just maybe louder than normal? Well, it's a very vocal minority, that I'll say, and and the fact that um, that they they do have a very loud voice. They seem to be well funded, 
and I think they get a lot of their disinformation uh, from online sources and a lot of conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. I, I have linked, and so his 60 Minutes and many others have linked uh, vaccine disinformation to uh, QAnon and, um, and other types of places where uh, there's treasure trove of uh, bad information as far as, far as what uh, these do. I mean, right now we've got people who are saying that they're, you know, they're dropping dead because of the COVID vaccines. And I haven't, I don't think anybody has seen any evidence of that. Um, that's real, anything that's realistic anyway. Right. So uh, we've got to fight back against that disinformation. Uh, we've got to make sure that we're putting science and health of people first, which I think we've been doing since this pandemic started here in the state of Connecticut. Governor Mont's done a great job. Uh, we have let science lead the way. Uh, we've got to make sure we're protecting our children um, and, and ensuring that we are, we are fighting back against, um, you know, anything that suggests that vaccinations are not safe and not healthy for people, um, and the fighting against, uh, people saying that somehow it hasn't saved lives. You know, frankly, you know, I've had people say, uh, I had somebody write on my Facebook page, measles was the best thing that ever happened to them. And that's a <laughs> direct quote. Uh, I don't know anybody who would realistically say that. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of bad information. And unfortunately, a lot of good people, I think have, have gone down this rabbit hole mm -hmm. of anti-vax and the conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. You mentioned there a bit about, uh, how they're very vocal, uh, in, in both oct obviously active around legislation. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to another topic, which is, you know, this pandemic has forced you guys to have to go online uh, on Zoom Zoom meetings. Um, and one of the things, at least from my perspective, that that's done is it's opened up the opportunities to testify to more and more people. I think on the sort of extreme end of the spectrum, you've got folks, for example, on the healthcare bill who were, you know, 20 hours of testimony, folks on Zoom. Um, as a local state elected official, how much does that testimony, when some, regardless of what it is, could be on vaccinations, could be on healthcare, marijuana legalization, how much does that public testimony when folks come and, and give their two minutes, uh, how does that impact your decision-making and your policy-making? Well, I will say this, that having um, having the Zoom has actually been good in some ways. I mean, it's tough in others because you're part of um, the culture of the legislature is, is being in person and seeing mm -hmm. people and having conversations. And sometimes you get most things done when you're passing somebody in the hallway or you have those five-second conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nothing is a perfect scenario. But I, but um, the having the ability to do the zooms, and hopefully we'll figure out some way to to do the same in the future, by having people uh, testify via Zoom online means that more people can participate. We've had more 24-hour hearings than we've ever had before, and that's because there's greater access. So you you know you're from Trumbull, I'm from Norwalk. Uh, you know people uh, normally from our area would never go to Hartford right. for, for the day. To, for their three minutes, but they'll sit online and wait for their three minutes while they're doing other things, including working. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's pluses and minuses to the whole thing here. And uh, I think that that's given people a voice that they may not have had. And as far as, you know, how much does it, does it count for us as legislators? We listen to all of that stuff. We read the testimony. It matters. Um, and I think it has a, um, a big impression on us. And I always joke and say, you know, it's easier to fight state legislature than it is to fight city hall because you'd be surprised that uh, sometimes a few pieces of testimony will sway a legislator's mind. Very interesting. So to all the listeners out there that I might have to bother in the next few weeks about testifying, <laughs> you heard it from the majority leader himself, it works. That's and right, you, it so, 
you could foresee a future though where uh, you guys are back in person in the hearing rooms and maybe there's a screen set up there for for citizens to do their testimony over Zoom. I'd like to see something like that. I, I, again, I don't know how that all works and how we would how we would put that in the rules and everything, but um, but you know I think it's worth exploring and 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 saying you know it's like with everything else. Zoom has uh, the pandemic has forced everybody to kind of uh, change rules and uh, and I guess break rules in some mm-hmm. ways, um, change assumptions on on stuff. And so I think this has uh, forced us into a different uh, different direction. And maybe we, when we can go back and kind of put things back to the way they were, should we take some of the lessons learned? I think we need to explore that for sure. We now go over to Dave for his conversation with State House candidate Nick Kapoor. On April 13th, there will be an election in Connecticut. Well, in a couple of towns in Connecticut, in Monroe and in part of Newtown, there is a special election for a Connecticut House seat and the Democratic candidate is Nick Kapoor. He joins us here today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me today, Dave. Really happy to be here. Wonderful. So I've, I've known Nick for about 10 years, so I could run through what an amazing candidate he is and how fanta- how happy I was when uh, you stepped forward to run. But I'll leave that to you. Why don't you let people know kind of where you come from, uh, what you've been doing up till now, and why you decided to step up and run. My name is Nick Kapoor. Um, I'm running in House District 112 in the special election on April 13th. I've lived in Monroe my entire life. Um, I just bought my first home here about two years ago. I've served three years on the local town council, and I'm currently in my first term on the Board of Education. And I also am going into my fourth year as a commissioner on the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities up in Hartford. And the CHRO is the state agency that is in charge of eliminating discrimination and prejudice throughout the state of Connecticut. Um, I started my political journey actually as an intern up at the state capitol, and that experience really was transformative for me. And it showed me the direct connection that a state representative could have with his constituents. And so that's why I stepped up to run for this seat. I want to continue doing what I've been doing for the people of Monroe for the last 10 years and give all the voters of the 112th district a seat at the table like we haven't had in decades. If, if, if and when you win, you'll arrive up in Hartford with just a few weeks left to go in the session. Um, where do you think you might make the biggest impact? So whoever wins this seat is going to be thrown into the deep end um, because session will only have about six weeks left. And one of the places where I want to make an impact is in the field of education. Um, I'm a professor of math at Fairfield University. As I just said, I'm on the board of education. My partner is a public high school teacher and education is really important to me. We need to make sure that no matter what zip code you live in, in Connecticut, every child is given a free and adequate education. And that is gonna be one of my big goals. We need to continue to close that technology gap so that all students have access to technology and Wi-Fi whenever they need it to learn. And in COVID, we need to make sure over this upcoming summer and going into the fall, that all of our boards of education have enough funding to make sure we can get students up to speed for, for those who fell behind due to the COVID slide. And so education is a part of 
our state's government and our local government that I really want to focus on and enhance as a state representative. Uh, where else do you see Connecticut uh, needing help or needing to take a new direction in a post-COVID world, right? We're at the point where, where we're doing pretty well with vaccinations, um, rolled out just today for uh, really all people ages 16 plus. So assuming the vaccination rate is going up and we start reopening a little bit, what what can the state legislature do and what do you want to do in a post-COVID Connecticut? I think COVID, um, as awful and horrible as it was and is, has shown us some very interesting things in our state government. Uh, first and foremost, I support what the legislature did last week in moving the outdoor dining restrictions for another year and allowing that to occur. I think that will give our restaurants and our dining facilities an area to expand like we haven't had before. And it's also gonna need to have approval from local uh, zoning commissions, which is also an important part of the process. I think we also need to invest in our infrastructure and our transportation. Um, COVID, because a lot of people were working from home, uh, gave us an opportunity to kind of look at our transportation and infrastructure. Um, we need to invest in that. People, I'm sure, will start commuting again, perhaps not as many as before COVID, but still many, and we need to invest in that. Um, we also need to make sure that we invest in growing our economy in Connecticut and invest in good jobs. Uh, we need to invest in growing our green economy in Connecticut. Anybody who lost their job due to COVID should be able to go to one of our community colleges or UConn or our state colleges and universities and for a very low cost, enroll in a certificate program or a credentialing program that can allow them to shift careers and get back up on their feet after COVID. I think the legislature can have a big impact in taxing, in investing in infrastructure and investing in Connecticut residents when it comes to getting out of this pandemic and getting back on our feet as a state. Um, talk a little bit about some of your work with the uh, Commission on Human Rights and how that may inform um, things that, you know, okay, this session, you only got six weeks. However, be the rep for a short session next time around and, and looking forward to the future. What, what kind of things have you learned in your role uh, there that you, you would apply to your work in the legislature? So as a commissioner on the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities, um, first and foremost, I have reviewed and voted on every affirmative action plan for every state agency in our state. So every state agency has to agree to and work on an affirmative action plan and hire off of that affirmative action plan to make sure that our state workforce is at parity with the uh, population overall in our hiring. I've been able to interact with state commissioners, um, with deputy commissioners, with affirmative action and um, diversity staff in all of our state agencies. And it's a really, really important role that we make sure our state workforce looks like our state. Um, over the next couple of years, we just got a report today from the office of the governor uh, called the CARES report that said up to a quarter of our state workforce will be eligible to retire in the next two fiscal years. That gives us a really great opportunity to look at our state government, streamline processes and hire people in at lower salaries than people are leaving and gives us a big opportunity to save millions of dollars for the taxpayers of Connecticut. And I've been doing some of that work in analyzing hiring trends 
um, on the CHRO. I've also been able to be part of and testify in front of committees on civil rights legislation that comes before the General Assembly, things I want to fight for. Um, another example of this would be the marijuana legalization bill. I'm in support of recreational marijuana in Connecticut. And when that bill comes to fruition, I want to make sure that medicinal dispensaries can easily convert to recreational dispensaries. And I also want to make sure that minorities can also get licenses to sell marijuana. We know that black and brown people are disproportionately affected by the negative laws of marijuana legalization. And I want to make sure that those small business owners, minority business owners, small business owners, women business owners um, can get those licenses and, and start selling marijuana legally. So I really want to work on some really good civil rights issues on behalf of my district and at the state level and continue my work on the CHRO uh, in the legislature. You know, when I listen to you, I hear the logic. I hear the systematic approach to solving problems that only comes from a math teacher. I used to be a math teacher at the high school level, and I just I, I feel like every legislature in the country should have more math teachers. I feel like we'd be better off. We'd definitely be better off with Nick Kapoor in the 112th district seat. How can people help out your campaign? Uh, people can go to nick4ct.com, N-I-C-K-F-O-R-C-T.com and sign up under the volunteer tab. We are door knocking in a COVID safe way, phone banking and getting out the vote in these last uh, 10 or 11 days. Uh, this is going to be a real, real push to get out the vote on April 13th. And uh, I hope you'll all join me. I do too. I mean, look, it's going to be, it, honestly, it's going to be close one way or the other. And we need your help to make it happen. Connecticut Democrats are pitching in specifically on Saturday, April 10th. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Bicewitz will be there for the kickoff, uh, along with some other elected officials helping out. You've gotten a lot of support from sitting representatives and senators. It's great to see. But if you want to help out on our push, ctdems.org slash April 10, we'll get you there. Or Nick, for ct.com help out with phone banks help out with uh in-person door knocking fantastic nick hope to see you up in hartford in a couple of weeks and i'll see you in monroe on april 10th thanks again dave so happy to be here thanks again we now return to the second half of michael's talk with bob duff connecticut senate majority leader this is a democratic podcast, so I don't want to encourage any friendly fire here, but I do have a question about um, a lot of times in the media, uh, the reporters, rightly or wrongly, will sort of latch on to those those sticking points where you have a difference with the governor or you have a difference with the House side or both of you have a difference with uh, the governor. Yeah. Um, uh, without getting too much into specifics, I won't ask you for any of the uh, sort of insidery stuff, but um, how do you approach managing those issues where there is a bit of daylight between maybe the Senate position and the House position or the House position and the governor's position? How does right. that work? And, and how do all of you as leaders work <laughs> to sort of uh, maybe find a middle ground or maybe not? Yeah. Well, a lot of times it's just about conversations. And um, you think of it in some ways as a marriage, right? So uh, <laughs> my wife and I don't always agree, but we try to work it out. Um, and compromise. And I think that's the same way with the executive branch and the legislative branch or between the House and the Senate, just kind of kind of work it out. Um, and, it's, and it's conversations. I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time you work it out. Um, there's sometimes when you don't and things either don't move forward or it kind of spills out into the public. But uh, but for the most part, I think we uh, we tend to work it out. And just like, for example, with the um, uh, the emergency or uh, emergency powers that the governor has, we have 
we've had internal conversations about that and then we have come out united uh, after discussions and agreements. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to, um, I want to jump into maybe some specific topics now. Um, how is the progress moving along on marijuana legalization and what do you foresee the kind of, uh, next, I don't know, next two or three months for that legislation? Well, it's a, it's a difficult issue. I will say it, it would be a lot easier for us here in Connecticut if we had a ballot initiative, not that I'm encouraging that in general, but on this issue, it would be very, it'd make things much easier because we're kind of doing things backward compared to how other states have done it. Um, so other states have had initiatives that say, do you, do you want to legalize recreational marijuana? And, you know, 70% of the people in Connecticut would probably vote yes. Then it would be up to the legislature to, to get the details and get it right. Uh, we don't have ballot initiatives here. So we have to then, we have to, even though we know most people want it, we have to, we have to kind of load in all the issues before we can legalize marijuana. So it makes it very difficult. So the questions are, is what do we do with homegrown? Do we have it or not? What do you do with how did the racial equity piece of it and um, and people who have already been convicted of it? Uh, how do you do the licenses? How do you tax it? You know, all these other kinds of things that are out there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of questions to ask on that, a lot of issues that surround it. And when the more and more you get into it, the more difficult it gets on some of those issues. So I'd love to say that it's just a yes or no, but mm -hmm. when you actually put in all the details of something like that, it is a, it is a very, very complicated piece of policy to put into place. Interesting. I know it's definitely an issue folks have been talking a lot about, particularly uh, my age demographic. <laughs> but I would say this, that it's not, it's, you know, it, I've never viewed it as a money issue. I've always viewed mm -hmm. it as we should do it as a, as a policy issue because of the fact that, you know, all the states around us are now going to have legalized marijuana, recreational right. marijuana. We have to control our own destiny. And we also want to be able to uh, take, um, you know, knock the legs out of it from the black market. Um, right. Because we, you know, it's not like marijuana is not here already. It is here. <laughs> uh, and we want to um, control it. We want to tax it. We want to mm -hmm. regulate it um, and do it in a way that keeps our residents safe. So there's, again, there's a whole lot of ifs, ands, and buts, and, you know, uh, policy considerations out there, and we have to work through every single one of them, and it's, it's taking, it's, one is, first, you got to know that you have the votes, uh, right, right. and I think conceptually, there the votes are there, but once you put in the details, you then still have to fight for the votes. Mm -hmm. And do you feel, uh, I noticed you make a dis distinction between the kind of conceptually having the votes and then when it comes to it having the votes, do you feel confident that uh, you on the Senate side at least be able to deliver the votes for some form of a marijuana legalization bill? Uh, we'll have to see what the final product is because it, it, it you know, in some, in some versions you could um, have a bunch of people here who are yes and then a bunch of people here who are no and then you have another version and you have the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't want to predict anything because it really depends on what, the final product is and if you can get compromised where there's at least enough people satisfied awesome well great insight there and we'll move to another topic which i know is really important to you um which was in the news for a bit uh, it's kind of out of the news now but that's net neutrality uh you and i just had a wi-fi snafu <laughs> trying to connect on our video call um so maybe talk a bit about why is net neutrality an issue that people in connecticut should care about and what are you doing uh, in the state legislature yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge issue, and uh, it's an issue that um, you're going to see 
more and more come to the forefront because as you see uh, cable companies and the service providers uh, do kind of, um, I think, take more of uh, their space and, um, and make decisions or make decisions based on their bottom line which is not necessarily good for consumers, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to see kind of more issues on net neutrality uh, come along. I mean, my hope is that the Federal Communications Commission will re- reverse the decision from the Trump administration and Congress will finally act on this issue. It'd be great to have a national policy on net neutrality. Until then, I think the state has a responsibility to act on it and that um, we have to uh, ensure that there's a uh, an open... Uh, internet for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure that uh, you're not allowing companies to throttle uh, speeds, uh, that uh, there's proper investment in um, in our in our broadband. I mean, all we, we have to look at is, you know, over this pandemic, everybody's working from home, people are doing school from home. I don't know that people really saw how in some ways weak our internet is. Mm-hmm. Um, before you know everybody was working in under one roof uh, at home so the throttling the issue you've got to ensure that we're the cable companies or providers are not um, uh, saying well buy the facebook package and then you can you know make sure your facebook package or your netflix package is the fastest and then everything else is the slowest you don't want to see where they gotcha. um they also you know, use other means to uh slow back slow down on speed so you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues on there, and we have seen across the country where, um, left to their own devices, uh, these companies will, you know, not adhere to um, a, a free and open uh, internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it costs money because we pay money in our subscription. Right, right. But, but it should be an open internet. You should we should not be throttled back, and they have been they are throttling back in some places on uh, speeds. Uh, because they either want you to buy a faster package or they're like, you know, there's there we're just right now or you over here on Main Avenue are going to get throttled back. And so we can give more speed right. over here, you know, when um, that's not being disclosed or, or anything else. Yeah, like I like how you sort of position it as I think net neutrality is so often just positioned solely as a consumer protection issue. But even looking at it, like you said, a bit of as an almost an infrastructure issue of, you know, this is now, I mean, the equivalent of, you know, how many people a day we're getting to work on the Merritt Parkway. I mean, it's probably an equal number now are going online. So I think um, really important and really glad you're working on it. Um, finally, before I, uh, let you go on your run, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I usually like whenever we have guests on here, I like to ask them about the place that they represent. Uh, folks are always proud of their hometown. So whether it's Luke Bronin in Hartford or Ben Florsheim, who somehow was elected mayor of Middletown, I don't know exactly how that happened, but you know, he'll, he'll talk about that. that, you got, about that you town, got the but, most um, votes. You got the most votes. <laughs> yeah. That's typically how it works. I think. Um, but I want to ask you a bit about the city of Norwalk. Um, I've, <laughs> Got a lot of great connections to Lydia City of Norwalk. Love it. Um, so for the folks who maybe haven't been to Norwalk in a bit or are planning on going to Norwalk as soon as they get vaccinated, um, what are the what are the attractions? If you had to sort of plan a day for someone, uh, where would you show them around? Is there a good place to get some food? Um, yeah. And uh, what, what sort of, what's Bob Duff's hood look like? All right. So we could probably do a whole podcast on the city of Norwalk. But uh, yeah. so, you know, first I would tell everybody, make sure you get vaccinated, please, because that's really important. Of course. Um, two, uh, so for Norwalk, I'm fifth generation Norwalker, born and raised here. My kids go to school here. Um, so, you know, love this community. And uh, 
I actually been selling real estate in here for 25 years too. So, you know, I used to give tours of Norwalk for people who are, you know, right, right. loads of people coming in. So I'm kind of, I can give you the kind of the bus tour uh, <laughs> via podcast, I guess, for, uh, for Norwalk. But I will say this a few things. One is that um, it's the sixth largest city. It's on the coast. It has a really probably the best beach in the entire state of Connecticut. That's a public beach. It's absolutely gorgeous and people should come visit. Uh, two, we have places like the Maritime Aquarium, which is an award-winning, uh, highly uh, sought-after uh, tourism destination that has a new um, 4D uh, movie theater mm-hmm. that replaces its IMAX. We have uh, Lockwood Matthews Mansion that predates the Newport, Rhode Island mansions. Mr. Lockwood was a railroad baron, which is why he placed his mansion uh, where he did by the railroad tracks was only used um, for the summers. And actually it, he went bankrupt because he made a bad deal, uh, I think against Rockefeller or, or Morgan. Um, and uh, so he never actually even got to live in it. Uh, we also have Stepping Stones Museum for Children. And if you want to eat food, we've got food. One of the great things is we have so many different kinds of food all over the city. So I think one of our best strengths is the fact that we're a diverse city. And that so there's great Greek food, there is great uh, Peruvian food, great Mexican food, there's great Italian food, um, you know, and I can go on and on with the with the different food that we have all over the place, uh, great Chinese food, um, mm-hmm. and great Japanese food. I mean, so there's I'm just going down, you know, like down the row here, Brazilian food. So uh, there's there's so many great restaurants to go to that you don't ever feel like you're you're going to go to the same place twice and i think the people are nice the people are friendly we're a built we're a growing community um we're going to get a new norwalk high school which is great so i mean there's just so many good things and we're seeing people move in from stanford from new york from all over the place because they know this is a great place to live work and raise a family so um, we have a sono um you can't beat that so Anyway, I think those are some of the great things about Norwalk. We can, like I said, we can do a whole podcast. Yeah, on, we could. But, uh, I'll spare you and your uh, listeners from listening to me uh, go on and on. About well, I will say that I think the one controversial thing that might come from this is you might now have some problems inside your caucus. I think Will Haskell in Westport, and I think it's Christine Cohen. I think she represents Madison, Connecticut. They might dispute your claim to having Norwalk has the best beaches. Um, <laughs> I will remain neutral on that. Uh, but I do know I did my lifeguard training at Calf Pasture Beach, and it's a beautiful spot um, and a great group of folks down there. So um, but we'll we'll have to maybe settle that at some point. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, right? Absolutely. Yep. The best beach. So anyways, thank you so much for being on here and talking about some issues that are on the minds of Connecticut Democrats. Of course, on behalf of all of us, thank you for the work you do. Any parting messages for the for the audience? Yeah, thank you. And thanks, Mike, to you because you are uh, one of our shining stars is for volunteers and activists and getting people motivated and out to vote and everything else. So I appreciate that very much. And everybody else who's listening, um, you know, I, I tell people that I got motivated uh, in, in government because of the fact that uh, a mayor wrote me back when I was really little uh, after I wrote him a letter on about litter at the beach. So, um, you know, be motivated on this stuff, be passionate, uh, fight for the things you care about. Um, it's, it's right people. Don't be afraid to write legislators or others about how you feel and just be involved somehow, you know, however it is, however you feel like you can be involved, be involved. And, uh, you know, we just appreciate everybody who takes an active interest in our, in our government. Awesome. So Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the podcast, and we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Michael.
So they, there you have it. A uh, very, very bold claim there at the end from Bob about Norwalk having the best beaches in the state. I know that's probably going to spark a bit of infighting in the caucus there over who might have the best. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, range of stuff we covered, and I really enjoyed your conversation uh, with Nick Kapoor as well. That's right. He's running in Monroe and Newtown. And again, on April 10th, we're going to be having a big GOTV push. Please join us, ctdems.org slash April 10, ctdems.org slash April 10. And Dave, that is going to be virtual uh, for the folks interested? It is not. This is in person. So mask up and uh, get those walking shoes on and be ready to knock some doors. Uh, we're going to be going from door to door. It's a big push. And Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz will be there. So uh, please join us for that. Well, that's outstanding. I didn't know that was in person. So I'll probably uh, I'll be home for that weekend and I'll probably head over there. And, uh, and by home, <laughs> you mean you're going to be in Monroe in Newtown. Fantastic. Yeah, that's right. So I'll be over there uh, that weekend and we will see you all, hopefully see you all there. And if not, we will hear you all at some point in the future in the next episode of Kinetocrats, the CT Democrats podcast. Mm-hmm.